Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. Julie, what is your relationship with fire? And by fire, I mean actual fire, not the American Gladiator fire. Oh, right. Okay. Because uh, I was going to say, like, definitely a big bonk on the head with the giant foam thing into water. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, of course, fire would have caused that. Uh, but no, my relationship to fire, it is, I wouldn't say it's complicated, but I would say like, just like everybody else, there's something very alluring about fire, mesmerizing. Mm-hmm. Um, my earliest memories was, were of, of course, uh, burning ants with magnifying glass. Okay. You were one of those kids. I was definitely one of those kids. And, uh, and then waving my hand over a candle flame with my babysitter. For, for a very long time. And while like she was partaking of this with you, she was like, let's, let's. She and her hippie boyfriend were both like, let's do this thing. Uh, so it was a hippie, not like a G. Gordon Liddy thing where you like hold your. Mm, okay. Where you're like, look how macho and conservative I am. Cause I can. No, no, it was the opposite. It was like, let's try to control this fire, man. And now <laughs> I cannot, uh, speak for them. Uh, but I, I will say that it's possible that maybe there was something that was enhancing the experience for them. Okay. Looking back now and understanding um, teenagers 
then, got it, got back it. in the day. They were hyped up on coffee, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. lots of coffee. I'm coffee sure that houses. was it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyway, that, those were my memories of being absolutely mesmerized by fire. And uh, you, you. Well, I tend to think of, of fire as, um, as not so much an element, but a golden god that I, uh, that I honor. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and when I bring fire into the world, mm-hmm. I am, uh, Allowing a part of this God to re-enter the world and mm-hmm. uh, and destroy my awfully enemies. familiar. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so that, that's what I would say if I were a, py- a pyromaniac, perhaps, as oh, we'll discuss in this podcast, because okay. that's that's because my history with fire is probably mostly uninteresting. Yes, when I was a kid, I probably I had a stage where I went through where I really liked firecrackers, mm-hmm. and it was and it was fun to strap them to the backs of little GI Joe men and and just stick them into the dirt and watch things blow up and yeah and you know and we all, and I love poking around in the fire. I was in Boy Scouts, so there's a lot of poking around in the fire, uh, but eventually I kind of outgrew that. So I I like staring into the fire. I th- I, I I like flames. There's something. You know, kind of scary about it. If I feel like I left uh, a flame uh, going in, say, the in the bathroom in the morning, I will freak out and probably turn the car around or, or turn my walk around and go back to the house to address it. But, uh, but I mean, fire is amazing. Fire is beautiful. Uh, it is. So we can't help but be fascinated by it. But it's probably a uh, a bad thing if we're too fascinated by it. Well, the, but the the crazy thing about it is that, of course, when when we discovered fire, it really Helped us out, right? As, right. as uh, people, as a civilization, as the ability to even um, exist as humans today, right? Right. It really, fa- as we've discussed in the past, it really made a huge impact on the way that we hunt our food. For mm-hmm. instance, um, you could cl- use fire to clear out the uh, vegetation around a watering hole, so mm-hmm. you could see the prey animals that were creeping uh, toward the water to drink and right. then slay them. Uh, and then once you had slain the uh, the prey animal, you could uh, conceivably roast it up and uh, get more out of your meal, right. uh, digest things that were normally not uh, no, not something you could digest. That's right. You would trans- not just the meat, ability to transform yeah, foods that you wouldn't be able to digest. Right. And to say nothing of uh, its use as a, um, a destroyer and as a weapon. Right. I mean, fire has... has Pretty much always played a role in in human warfare. I mean, from the flaming arrow to a flaming stick to uh, to napalm to the idea of of uh, nuclear firestorms uh, ravaging the the continent following uh, some sort of a, a World War Three scenario. So, I mean, it, fire is uh, is is a big player in human civilization. Well, in, in our hopes and fears. And I guess what we're trying to do is trying to occupy uh, the, the mindset of someone who would uh, be so in love with fire. And be romancing fire because on some level we all understand that again, you know, fire is the life giver, it's the destroyer. Mm -hmm. But some people, a very small percentage of the population, pyromaniacs specifically, um, are absolutely obsessed with it. Right. And so we're going to try to get, uh, you know, into their minds a little bit today, although we will say that this is uh, territory that hasn't been greatly explored for many reasons. Right. Now, we're not going to get into the chemical reaction of fire, but uh, but just a quick mention here. Uh, we have an excellent article called How Fireworks by Tom Harris on HowStuffWorks.com. Just go to the website and type in How Fireworks, and you'll go right to it. Here's a quote from it. Fire isn't matter at all. It's a visible, tangible side effect of matter changing form. It's one part of a chemical reaction, which... You know, just a quick quote from just what fire is, but mm-hmm. it, it gives you a little more idea that we're a, a little insight into why it's so fascinating because it is, it's a thing between, you know, and it's, uh, in addition to being this life giver, this destroyer, 
Um, and, and you and you also, I've I've heard it argued that like every story we've ever told is essentially a story of campfires. You know, like when we sit around the campfire, there's this primal experience of uh, of 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 humans with their light, with their warmth, and then beyond them, the darkness of the the rest of the world. Well, and then, then there's a mysterious element of it too. I mean, you, you know, when you take a, a candle and you turn it. Um, you know, to the right or left, it's always going to point up. And of mm-hmm. course, unless you're on a spaceship. Un- I was about to say, yeah. that's gravity at work for you, unless you're on a, a spaceship. And then you get to see the blue flame and the red flame, which is really just the embers of that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's something really powerful to that. Um, but again, some people, they, they get a little bit too excited by, by this flame. And, uh, well, let's look at some examples of people who are too into their fire making. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so there's a infamous arsonist, right, who has a lot of the characteristics of a pyromaniac, and it hasn't, you know, exactly been said this is a pyromaniac. And again, we'll but if talk he's about not, why he's at later. least on the waiting list. He's definitely one. on the waiting list. Um, looks like he might make it. Paul Keller lives lives in Seattle. He is now serving a 99 year prison sentence, and he started setting fires as a child and later tried to join the fire department. And he's an alcoholic, um, and during those fires, uh, most likely he was probably imbibing, but he set something like 70 fires in his career, and one at a nursing home facility. So obviously there's, you know, you know that there's a dark side to this, but that's when you know that uh, someone has certainly tipped over the edge of perhaps just seeing what a fire might do in some sort of scenario, and then actually setting a fire knowing that uh, many lives will be taken. Right. Another uh, big uh, case that uh, ran across was one that mentioned in some of the literature. This uh, British psychiatrist by the name of Randolph Parks, he uh, did a whole paper in 2005 looking at this 20-year-old uh, homeless individual uh, who's uh, not named in the study, mm-hmm. but he was actually going around dousing people with lighter fluid and setting yeah, them on fire. Yeah. Um, and was he also had a number of of other symptoms. Uh, like it was... This guy was, was kind of out there because he was like hearing breathing in his bedroom and seeing mm-hmm. blood on the wall. He reported having seen ghost-like people that looked like water. So he um, was having hallucinations. Yeah, he was having hallucinations. That's a bummer. Um, so on the light side, there's the porta potty pyromaniac. Oh, okay. This was in San Francisco a couple years ago. And he torched more than 20 porta potties over a two-month period. And would do this primarily at night, although uh, he, I say he, could have very well been a woman. He or she uh, was so bold enough as to actually um, set one on fire during the daytime, in which you could see the porta potty combusting in all its glory with all of its elements flying through the air. Uh, well, you know, there's probably a study out there that we should look at on, on porta potty vandalizing in general, because... Uh, it seems like there, there's something about the porta potty that that humans are compelled to mess with it. I guess because it's this little room that's full of poo, and we there's something in everyone that wants to tip it over, or or hit it with a car, or catch it on fire, right? No, <laughs> <laughs> maybe you. I think we just got a little insight there. Maybe I, I just don't. I mean, I, I'm not a big porta potty fan, so maybe it's part of my my rage against the. Uh, uh, maybe it's your fear. Yeah. It's like you trying to master your fear of porta potties by imagining them being tippled over. Like or- seriously, I went into one recently and it had a graded floor, like a uh, like a milk carton, like it had holes in it. You mm-hmm. know? It's how how why did it take us that long to figure out that a porta potty needs holes in it so that it's not slick with mud uh, and other matter when someone goes into it after it's been up for a day or two. Well, I mean, that's there's always room for progress, right? I guess. Yeah. I told you how I was almost carried away in one at at, a, at Coachella one year, right? No. 
It was now granted. It was not just a normal port port. Okay, so this is this this is why you have the fear. Tell tell us. Well, it was it was not just a normal porta potty. They had those too, and they mm-hmm. were disgusting, of course. But they also had ones on the back of a truck, uh, which is like this this big. Um, it's like a full size bathroom, you know, with sinks and all. Yeah, kind of, kind of fancy, but also kind of gross. So this is like the Cirque du Soleil kind of porta potty. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I had gone in, and I didn't know this, but they were closing it up, and they were about to take it away on the back of a truck with me still in it. And then some guy like hollers something, uh, you know, unintelligible. Mm-hmm. I can only call it a holler because it was that, you know, unintelligible, uh, through the door and then shuts it. And I'm like, I wonder what he's yelling about. And th- so I, I finished my business and I, I, I rushed to the door and they're, they're getting ready to haul it off, probably to throw it over the edge of a, a canyon somewhere, I guess. No, no, I'm just imagining that it was some sort of elaborate plot to kidnap you and then <laughs> force you into labor in yeah. some remote part of the world. So. I didn't. I didn't necessarily want to start it on fire, uh, but, but 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 now you do. Yeah. Now you've got these feelings about porta potty that you that you are unresolved. That perhaps fire could help with. Maybe maybe yeah. fire could help me with that. All right, yeah. Let's swing back to the fire. There, that was a, that's a fun little porta potty uh, diversion. Um, okay, so what is pyromania? Right, um, that the term actually comes from French physician Charles Chrétien. Um, and it's monomunie incendiary, apologies for my French, which, uh, translates to insane incendiarism. Oh, okay. So the term's kind of vague, right? Well, it's in the same way that insanity is, is often, uh, a term that is, uh, contested and, uh, and, and depends on who's throwing it around and who's right. receiving it. Uh, yeah, there, you, you look across the board, uh, and people have different, uh, definitions of who qualifies as insane and who qualifies as a pyromaniac. Which is really interesting too, because if you look at this criteria of, of what is a, a pyromaniac, I mean, there's a, a very big lack of insanity in this list, right? It's kind of actually spelling out this story of someone who is perfectly normal except really likes fires. Right. And, uh, and just to, to give another nod to how, how loose the terminology can be, the FBI organized an advanced fire investigation training session mm-hmm. a little while ago. And, uh, at the start of the meeting, they asked over 600 participants, which included fire agency personnel, like insurance investigators, uh, you know, police officers, mental health professionals, uh, various walks of life to write down their definition of pyromania and not a single definition was identical. Well, and this is part of the problem, right? right. As, as we have um, discovered here, and many are discovering in the field, is mm-hmm. that this is, it hasn't been studied that well, and um, there's a lot of misinformation out there that we'll get to. Uh, but so far, the American Psychiatric Association's Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders has set forth the following criteria for a diagnosis okay. of pyromania. And and I can't help but think as as we go through this, let's think of uh, of one of the more famous pyromaniacs or potential pyromaniacs from uh, popular culture, that being Beavis of Beavis and Butthead. Because, oh, right. As you remember, he was rather enamored with uh, the Golden Flame. Yes, well, and also Bart Simpson. Oh, was Bart big into the the fire? Uh, I think that's what landed him in uh, in detention a couple okay, of times. Okay, well, well, let's think of Bart and Beavis as we uh, proceed. Okay. All right. First, the individual must have set fires deliberately and purposefully on more than one occasion. Okay, definitely on Beavis, and I assume on Bart. They've been that show's been going on too long for them to yeah, not have yeah. gone to that well more than once. I agree, and at least during the episode, right? Uh, it would have been many times. The in- individual must be tense or exhibit outward emotional behaviors. We're talking about <laughs> facial expressions, changes in voice, excitement before setting fires. Definitely Beavis. Yes. <laughs> the individual must be interested in, curious about, fascinated with, and or attracted to fires and their situations. I think that kind of goes. That one's. That one's. 
kind of silly because that kind of goes with the the territory. The, the, territory, yeah. Yeah. the, in, the individual must experience pleasure, tension, relief, or gratification after setting fires or watching fires in their aftermaths. Yes. This is obviously the, probably the biggest marker here, right? Yeah. Like it's kind of like the whole thing, like a fire. I think there was like a far side cartoon where they, there's a building burning and the people are turning and noticing like the dude that's just sitting yeah. there with just wide eyes and just loving every minute of it. Like that's the guy that you're, you're kind of suspect uh, might have uh, pyromania issues. Yeah, yeah. The guy with the kaleidoscope eyes is yeah. definitely. Uh, other psychological disorders cannot uh, better account for the individual's fire setting behavior, manic episodes, antisocial behavior. Okay. Okay. So, for instance, if they're seeing things in, in the night, yeah. uh, bleeding walls, and then decide to go uh, set hobos on fire. That's then, a byproduct. Then, yes. Yeah, right. yeah. We're talking about pure pyromania here. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, and then the individual has no other motivations for setting the fire, like financial gain. All right. This right? is this is like uh, insurance. I need insurance money, so I'm going to burn my own building down. Yeah, my restaurant's not doing that great. Oops. Kitchen fire, mm-hmm. um, expressing social or political ideas. Okay, obviously, uh, burning down, yeah, building as a sign of protest. Burning um, people in effigy. Right, right. Uh, revenge or anger. Right. This is I don't like you. You said something bad to me, or I think, or even like I perceive that you wronged me in some fashion. So I'm going to burn your cubicle down. For any of the uh, TLC hip hop fans out there, um, Lisa Left Eye Lopez. I believe burned down her uh, fiance's mansion. Oh because of this. yes, yes, that's right. This was in Atlanta. So T- TLC the before, uh, well, or I guess after the Learning Channel. But I'm thinking yeah, about our, yeah. our own. Yeah, it was TLC, TLC, right? Yeah. Um, and- I was thinking it was a show because I'm not as familiar with all the TLC uh, programming, so I thought maybe there's like a pyromania ladies. Yeah, and you know I've got one foot in there, so you thought, yeah. oh, Julie, she's just talking yeah, about yeah. TLC.com again. Um, enough, a cake boss, Julie. <laughs> Um, okay, so hiding other criminal activity, concealing a murder or theft, right? Right, getting rid of a body by burning it. Yeah, um, something dark like that. Yeah, uh, improving his or her living circumstances, which I don't really get. That. I get the the financial gain, but you would think that would be one in the same. Uh, responding to delusions or hallucinations, or right. impaired judgment, dementia, mental retardation, alcohol, or drug intoxication. Yeah, what is improving his or her living? It's kind of like you know, this living room's great, but I feel like it would be better if I burned half of it. Yeah, know. it would be really shabby chic if I could just, you know, get a little <laughs> singe to some of this furniture. Um, also, the the individual must not exhibit intoxication, criminal motivation, or other criminal psychiatric disorders. So, when you take all of this, it, it's purely like this that that one point, which is like number point number four. Then the individual must experience pleasure, attention, relief, or gratification. So that's really at the heart of this matter. Um, and just as a little side fact, in the U.S., only 3% of suspected arson fires lead to conviction. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then from Slate.com, the science of pyromania, they say maybe the true arson-prone pyromaniacs are still roaming the streets. Some evidence suggests that arsonists tend to be non-assertive offenders who internalize their anger with fires, enabling them to avoid face-to-face confrontation. Such evasiveness also makes them difficult to study. So what they're kind of, what, what all this is painting right here is that it's very hard to study who a, a true pyromaniac may be. And in fact, there's probably a lot of crossover from arsonists to pyromaniacs. Right. Um, and, you know, you, if you kind of lift some of these constraints, uh, especially the, the alcohol part, right? Uh, if someone's using alcohol and they set a fire, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're not a pyromaniac, especially if they did that 70 times over the last four months. Right. I was looking at uh, this uh, article from the American Institute of Forensic Education. 
uh, that was talking about characteristics of, quote, juvenile fire setters. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the whole thing is you're going to have juveniles who are setting fires, and they are not necessarily pyromaniacs as as we've you know discussed, mm-hmm. um, uh, given these constraints, uh, so, so some of the the examples they lay out in this article include the experimental curiosity fire setter, mm-hmm. and this is generally somebody younger than seven, and uh, the, and they're generally after they set the fire, they're generally quite upset by it, and it's more of a product of lack of supervision and easy access to fire setting materials. Yeah. So this would be like you know you leave a cigarette lighter around a. Um, a six-year-old, there's nobody watching him. Of course, he might set something on fire. That's yeah. why you don't leave the fire-making implements around <laughs> uh, when, when they're on their own. Generally, yeah. Right. Like, you know, I, we leave a, an axe around my nephew, and he starts chopping in a tree with it. I, it doesn't mean he's an axe-wielding maniac. He's just a kid who uh, sees an axe, and nobody's watching, so he's going to start swinging it. It's just what they do. It's true. Yes. They do. Uh, then there's the thrill-seeking uh, fire setter, and this is 11 to 12 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this uh, tends to be interrupted by the time they reach 16 or 17, the article says, and, uh, and it, but it can become um, more dangerous over time. They're generally doing other bad things, and they tend to enjoy the drama and the chaos that uh, the fire uh, creates. And they, uh, they're often good manipulators. They're shallow. They're selfish. They like a moral compass. So they're a little bit narcissistic. Right. And this is definitely one you can see, like I say, be- becoming a more serious threat. It's mm-hmm. not just a kid playing with fire. It's a right. kid playing with the emotions that a fire um, evokes in people. Right. And realizing that they can get attention from this or pleasure from this, from the attention that the fire gets. Right. Because a fire always gets attention. <laughs> I mean, that's, it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then there's uh, another color classification, a uh, delinquent fire setter. And this is 11 to 12 year old. And, um, and uh, generally these are, these are individuals who uh, set the fire and then they're denying personal liability for the fire. They're blaming others. And it's generally more of a hyperactivity and an impulsive thing. So it's kind of a, uh, a continuation of that experimental curiosity, mm-hmm. uh, but but uh, has more with just you know lacking uh, a control over. And themselves. the impulse control is pretty important, right? Too. Impulse yeah. control, yeah. and so they're like, "I'd like to set a fire," and bam, they're already <laughs> setting it. Yeah. Uh, then there's then they also classify revenge fire setters, mm-hmm. uh, and so again, this according to uh, what we uh, discussed earlier, this would not be a pyromaniac, mm-hmm. but and uh, this is why it gets so murky, right? Right. Because it's been studied in many different ways and labeled in many different ways. Right. And these would be, this would be like a 15 year, year old or older. And, uh, they, they may be taking revenge against a society, a person, an institution, a particular group. It mm-hmm. could be a perceived wrong or a real wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, they, these fire setters generally express anger before the fire and relief after. Um, they often come from intact families with cold withholding parents and a paranoid way of thinking. Huh, that's really interesting. Again, um, I mean, I keep seeing markers of narcissism because uh, usually with people who are narcissistic, they have parents who have turned away from them, which makes them turn inward mm-hmm. and begin to become, you know, the seeds of narcissism begin to grow. So that's sort of interesting to hear that. Cool. And then the uh, the other category that they uh, they lay out in this article, disordered coping uh, fire setters. Uh, and this is generally early childhood onset. Um, and these... These are tend, tend to be very dangerous. Uh, this is a, a situation where fire it, is a learned response to stress. They're generally male. And um, these fire setters, they experience problems with uh, with pretty much every aspect of their life. They often mm-hmm. come with a, from a history of violence. Uh, there's you know abuse or neglect issues at home. And the, uh, they will set a fire, uh, say, every day. Yeah. And, and the size doesn't matter. It might be, you know, 
just burning something in the sink mm-hmm. or setting fire to a tool shed. Um, uh, you know, it, it doesn't matter to them, but setting the fire like the lowers the stress. Mm-hmm. It's like a, it's a stress relief uh, mechanism. Huh, that's pretty interesting. Um, all right. So we're going to take a break, but when we get back, we're going to talk about what Freud, Prometheus and penises have to do with fire. Yes. This podcast is brought to you by Intel, the sponsors of tomorrow and the discovery channel. At Intel, we believe curiosity is the spark which drives innovation. Join us at curiosity.com and explore the answers to life's questions. All right, we're back. So Prometheus, of course, was the the firebringer from mythology, right? Who brought uh, the stole se- the fire, stole from the, the gods. secret of the fire. He was a, he was a titan, mm-hmm. brought the the secret of the fire down from the gods, mm-hmm. who overthrew the titans. And, uh, and shares it with humans. So humans can do all these things we were talking about, like cook food and drop napalm and, uh, and burn down, uh, all the shrubbery around uh, a pond so they can eat the animals that drink from it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he ended up, uh, finding himself chained to a rock while, uh, an eagle feasts on his liver, correct? Right. But the liver grows back. And so Every each day, day the, the, <laughs> uh, his liver becomes, uh, a meal again. So that's a, a great punishment. Um, but so he smuggled the fire in a hollow fennel stalk and Freud, our man Freud, saw this as a penis symbol. Ah. And this is, yeah, this is from the Slate article about pyromania. And it says, uh, psychiatrists Candace Germain and Michael LeJoy explained it as, um, sort of invoking the mechanism of reversal. So he, he suggested, Freud suggested that it was not fire that man harbors in his penis, but the means of, of extinguishing fire, <laughs> the water of his stream of urine. But Freud also saw a morbid curiosity of fire as being related to excessive nocturnal enuresis, bedwetting in children, with the erotically tinged warmth associated with ambient urine, essentially trapping problem bedwetters in the phallic stage usually reserved for three to six years old. Ah. Okay. Of course, Freud shows up on the scene. Yeah, and it's it's interesting that he did mention the whole uh, peeing on the fire because uh, I don't remember ever peeing on a campfire, but I know that was that was always a big deal in Boy Scouts. I would say that if if I had the plumbing, I probably would do that. Yeah. Uh, but I don't, so I can see how how that would be interesting to do. Um, another thing from that Slate article was really interesting is that uh, in the 18th century, German physicians were convinced that fire-setting tendencies were primarily an affliction of teenage girls with low IQs, and that 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 burning things gave these uh, girls an outlet for their sexual frustration. Ah, and they called it Führerlust. Führerlust, right? Firelust, which you know I think has actually come to. Uh, paint the way that we understand pyromania because yeah. a lot of people have taken this idea of pyromaniacs as sociopaths and people who are sexually disgruntled and they're just working out their their fantasies their um their sexual problems so on and so forth which we know is not necessarily true right but of course that's that's what really rings well with a story in fact there's something called the mcdonald triad and um it's basically this correlation of animal cruelty um, which has been linked with obsession with fire setting and bedwetting beyond the age of five. So if you have all three of these traits or these behaviors, then you probably have more sociopathic tendencies. At least that's what the reasoning is. Right. So you can understand why this idea of um, 
of uh, pyromaniacs is sexually frustrated or bedwetters came came to rise in our minds. Um, in fact, we know that this is a problematic suggestion that you these three behaviors creates a sociopathic tendency in a person. And in fact, we recently found out in the book by Hal Herzog, Some We Eat, Some We Love, and Some We Hate, that this uh, association with ser- serial killers and animal cruelty is just pretty much plain wrong. Right. It's all about the child sort of testing the boundaries and, and figuring out where they where they rank in relation to animals. Right, right. And in fact, th- it's really common for kids to um, have some sort of level of animal cruelty or experience with it because they are trying to master the, the this uh, position of power in their life and try to, mm-hmm. to suss it out for themselves. But according to Hal uh, Herzog, the majority of people who abuse animals as children do not grow up to be violent, and 80% of ser- serial killers do not have a known history of cruelty to animals. And he found this out by a myriad of studies um, that uh, were taken out at, um, at, I believe there were prisoners, sociopathic prisoners that they studied, and they really found no correlation there. It's interesting. The um, you know, it, I'm thinking about like children, young children, sort of discovering uh, these things for the first time, like discovering mm-hmm. the whole, I can be cruel to an animal, and what does that mean, and how do I relate to the animal? Mm-hmm. And then discovering uh, lying. We've, we discussed lying in, yeah. in one of the other podcasts, and uh, and about discovering that power, the ability to say something that isn't so, and therefore alter the perceived universe of another person, yeah. or even themselves. Yeah. And then uh, so fire kind of fits in naturally with that, to discover this ability to create this strange substance to well, to create it or control it mm-hmm. or to just release it onto something and uh you know you, you can just imagine like a young mind like what what they must think of fire yeah it's another opportunity to either empathize or to destroy right, right. and i wonder too how it uh, about uh, about pyromania uh, how it how it factors into different uh, walks of life because there're certain mm-hmm. there're certain um Places in the world, certain families uh, in in the world. I mean, it, it varies depending on uh, on your your upbringing, how exposed to fire you are. Mm-hmm. I mean, for some, you're going to be you're going to be seeing fire every day. You're going to be playing in the fire from an early age. While in other households uh, or um, or environments, the fire is not going to be something that is readily available. Mm-hmm. Especially if you know there, there are no smokers around, there are no campfires around. If everything's just uh, you know like like electric heat. Well, I think that's why it's so hard to understand and to study because it it is colored by a person's perception. And Mm -hmm. there's not all I mean, other than setting the fire, there's not a lot of, um, you know, a common thread between people who are pyromaniacs. I mean, there are accounts of people who like, for instance, I'm thinking about this one guy who's a pyromaniac and he um, he had it for him. It was a sexual release. Right. And he had some but but he had some very. Important problems, mental disorders that led him to create this association between sex and fire. For instance, you know, he had a strange relationship with his mom and she made him put his hand on a burner to understand that it was hot. And there were all these instances of fire mm-hmm. uh, throughout his young adult life that he began to map against his sexuality, which then came out in fire setting. Right. So but that's particularly only for that one person. Right. Uh, but again, very hard to understand, very hard to study. True pyromania is actually really rare. We're talking about less than 1% uh, to about 4% of arsons. Hmm. And uh, and then there's a whole other area that comes to mind when you're talking about pyromania, um, or rather people who are really into fire, but not necessarily pyromaniac. Mm-hmm. Um, 
like I've been to several different like, festivals or events where you have people that are really into fire. Mm-hmm. Like they're into using like uh, stunt burn suits. Yeah. Uh, they're into building their own flamethrowers. They're you yeah, know, pyrotechnicians. Yeah. Right, right. And and, uh, and and they love fire. <laughs> yeah. There's no denying that these guys and gals really, um, at least uh, figuratively, get off on the idea of catching things on fire, including themselves. Right. Uh, you know, fire in the hole. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. You know, look for any uh, you know images from from any given say Burning Man and the, the <laughs> pyromaniacs and well, we're rather I'm using the term loosely, but people who are really into fire, um, they they tend to really seek those events out. Yeah, you know Burning Man keeps coming up, and and someone had suggested we do a podcast on it. So I don't know, maybe we can find a, a science angle there. Yeah, um, well, we've discussed there that there are plenty of scientists at Burning Man. That's so, right, yeah. that's right. You can you can uh, just go. I think give them like twenty five cents and ask an astrophysicist a question. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a booth there. What we're suggesting that you can go and visit and and not only just uh, enjoy the Burning Man, but also <laughs> <laughs> learn more about the physical world. The Burning Man. That sounds like like kind of like if somebody's grandma were like, "Are you going to the Burning Man this year?" The Burning Man. You were talking about the effigy that they burned, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. The big giant one at the end yeah, of the festival. Yeah. yeah. That people would like writhe uncontrollably in front of. And and again, I think it comes back to like the reason people get into that though, and uh, and, and and love the idea of a huge bonfire because it's it's like it's a story of human civilization. It's the it's people gathering around this fire. Something this, they create. They, something they yeah, create. Yeah. That brings warmth, yeah. that uh, allows them to digest different food, that gives them power over the elements mm-hmm. and over the, the other creatures of the earth. Mm-hmm. And then on the outside, the darkness of the unknown, of the dangerous, of the unexplored. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it just stirs something deep within us. Right. And it really complements peyote. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what we do know about pyromaniacs or what we suspect um, is that it is an impulse control disorder, much like kleptomania or pathological gambling. Right. Okay. Um, yeah, so how do we treat it? Behavioral therapy so far. That's, that's what um, most psychologists are thinking. But in a 2006 letter to the editor of the Journal of Clinical Psychiatry, psychiatrist John Grant reported a case of one patient who fit the clinical definition of pyromania, the one that we talked about. Um, and Grant was able to examine the brain of his patient with SPECT imaging and found a region in the left inferior frontal portion that had a low blood flow. So the patient underwent three weeks of daily behavioral therapy and a daily regimen of topiamirate, which is an anti-convulsant used to treat treat, uh, seizures. Ah. And during that time, the patient reported a substantial decrease in his urge to set fires. And then when Dr. Grant re-imaged the patient's brain, he found that that area was was uh, no longer there, that the problem, the, the low blood flow no longer existed. So there's this idea that it could be biological. I've also read that if we were to, yeah, to treat it like um, an impulse con- control disorder, such as pathological gambling or kleptomania, um, we might look at the serotonin centers of the brain. Mm-hmm. Um, we might be able to treat them with uh, selective serotonin uh, reuptake inhibitors. Oh, uh, okay. So yeah. Basically antidepressants. Yeah, basically try to replace that behavior with uh, the feeling that the reuptake inhibitors would give them, right? Right. Or the serotonin. Or maybe you get them really into the idea of using flamethrowers at, at big events in the desert. I don't know. But, I mean, maybe that's, that there. that's right. Maybe they get to put the torch to the burning man. Yeah. So there you have it. Uh, pyromania. I, and uh, we actually, you actually threw the question out on, uh, on our Facebook group. Mm-hmm. What is your relationship to fire? And so we definitely would like to hear from uh, everyone. Like, really, you don't have an excuse to not have an opinion on fire. 
It's not like it's not like we're asking about an obscure Doors album or something. We're talking about Fire. Yeah, so, yeah. So you know, I, I'm very curious. Like, how did how does your upbringing relate to it? Like for me, it's like I remember like early on we would go on camping trips or or my dad would be grilling you know on the back porch or something. So there was always not always, but there was frequently fire around, and I definitely played in the fire. Yeah. Uh, so, and we got some really great responses on Facebook. Um, and, and everybody did have a different experience. Although, you know, some people were ant killers like I was. <laughs> that seems to be a common theme. So, so yeah, let us, let us know about that. And, uh, if you want to find us on Facebook, uh, just do a search for stuff to blow the mind. Uh, that's how you find us on there. Uh, and well, and we're also on Twitter, uh, as below the mind. Uh, and we update those pretty regularly. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me reach into the listener mail bag here real quick. Thank you, robot. Laura writes in and says, Hi, Robert and Julie. In regards to your comments on Japanese doll women, probably my favorite synonym for Lolita, in Living with Robots, Can We Build a Better Bot? I must correct Robert in that the darker sister of Lolita is referred to as Gothic Lolita. This is defined as a style similar to Lolita, which is the the way of dressing as though one is an often female Victorian uh, child, complete with many, many lace frills. Uh, through mixing, as the name suggests, a dark color palette. Though it is most popular in Japan, I am a frequenter of a few uh, gothic Lolita stores in Europe and in the great uh, smorgasbord of Camden Market and speak from my own experience. Uh, just to clear things up, thanks for providing an informative and mentally stimulating podcast, Laura. So there you go. Yeah, I got that a little uh, mixed up there. I think I was thinking of uh, kawaii, the whole, uh, like, oh, and, the I'm, and I may be saying that. Kawaii. Kawaii, kawaii, mm-hmm. the, the cute. Mm-hmm. And then there's kawaii noir, noir, the, um, which is dark cute. Uh, okay, so this is similar, you. but it's, uh, yeah, this was lo- uh, the gothic Lolita. So the, okay. uh, uh, like she said, frills, but black frills. Uh, just a, on a side tangent here, too, when we were doing research for this, uh, my eye landed on something called Koro. I hope I have that right, K-O-R-O, which I, it, from what I understand, and I didn't pay a lot of attention to it because it didn't really relate to this podcast, but it is Japanese and it's sort of a weird thing is that there's this idea that your genitalia can retract and there's this irrational fear. That they may just completely retract into your body? Yeah. Huh. So there you go. I don't know. Maybe maybe we need to do a, a no, podcast on I irrational can, fears. I can understand that. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was one of those things I was like, that is bizarre. But yeah, I could understand how, how somehow that could get in someone's mind and you would start to really fear that, especially as a child. Yes. Yes. Well, there, there, there's a whole host of fears that can be associated with uh, with genitalia as a child. I'm Especially sure. Especially if nobody bothers to explain you, to you what is going on with them or should be going on with them. But that's again a whole. Oh thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but yeah. So maybe that's a, an upcoming episode. I don't know. So hey, so someone wants to. We already talked about Facebook and Twitter. What if someone wants to send us some email and have the robot bring it to us? Oh, very easy. All you have to do is send us a line at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join HowStuffWorks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. 
Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 